Welcome to the Informal Podcast. I am Austin Coley, here with my co-host Sam Lewis. Sam, how are you doing today? I'm great, man. It's good to have you back. I missed you last week. I know. Listening back to you guys, which first of all, you guys were awesome on that pod, so you definitely didn't miss me at all. But Huge shout listen, to Aaron Lewis. Aaron oh Lewis did goodness. great, by the way. The guy is a, ba- a walking baseball reference. It is unbelievable the kind of information he has in his... I don't know how he has room for anything else. I don't know if he has anything else in his mind. I, I don't know. He might not, and we, we did miss you, but I had a blast recording that thing with Lewis. Yeah, I mean, it was awesome, but I will say I've got a couple of bones to pick with you guys. Yeah, I think you guys were pretty spot on on most everything, but there are a couple things that I was like, whoa, you guys got that totally wrong. So first, I'll kind of pick the lesser of the two evils. In your debate between Andrew Jones and Omar Vizquel, you're talking about Omar Vizquel as a career, what, 275 hitter or whatever he was? And 272. You like, 272. You're like, that's not that good. It's not like he hit 330. So Andrew Jones, Andrew Jones hit like 250. That's terrible. I get he hit 400 and whatever home runs, but he hit 250. I mean, okay, all right. I didn't think I was going to have to break out baseball reference this early in the podcast, but we're going right now. You said 434 home runs by Andrew Jones, which Omar Vizquel could have played for a 1,000 years and never hit 400 home runs. So let me uh, let me go to Andrew Jones' baseball reference page real quick. This is great podcasting, but you are not going to besmirch Andrew Jones in front of me. Oh, I'm right, trying to. With OPS? Are, you, are you familiar with OPS Plus? All right. Total yes, I am. batting I'm a versus guy. league average. Okay, all right. Takes into account more than just the little slap hit singles that Omar Vizquel got. So Andrew Jones, OPS plus for his career, 111. So that's 11% better than average. Meanwhile, that also includes his Dodgers, White Sox, the end of his career where he was terrible. All right, now let me go to Omar Vizquel really quick. Your boy, you're going to die on the Omar Vizquel hill. I didn't realize this. Omar Vizquel, <laughs> OPS plus. OPS plus first career, 82. 82 18% below average. Are you kidding me? I think there's one Omar there's Vizquel, only, there's only one here. stat that can truly end this debate. And it's the it's the stat that you guys leaned on and really decided was a factor if you got into the Hall of Fame or not. And that's a stat that takes the war of your best seven years and combines it. And you said anything over 40. That usually gets uh, – Chippers was, what, 46, 47? Barry Bonds was yeah. stupid. It was almost double 40. Um, That's ridiculous. McGriff was, McGriff was around, what, 35 or something? Outstanding. 35, 37, Outstanding. somewhere in there. But yep. – So what was the war of Omar Vizquel and what was the war of Andrew Jones in their seven best years? I'm glad you asked. Omar Vizquel, over his best seven seasons of his career, his war – 26.7. All right, we threw out a ballpark figure of around 40 you want to be at for a Hall of Famer. 26.7. Not great. Andrew Jones, over his best seven seasons, 46.5. Are you serious? That, that is the same as Chipper Jones. It's better than Jim Tomey, Scott Rowland, Gary Sheffield, even my boy Fred McGriff. Andrew Jones is a Hall of Famer. I would pound the table, but I'd knock my microphone off of it. Wow. It, all right. You know what? I'll take it back. I'll take it back. I still there think Omar Vizquel with his career deserves to be considered for the hall of fame, but Andrew Jones should not be taken off the ballot. 
But I will say there's one other thing that I had way more of a bone to pick with you guys, and that was Uh-oh. your devaluing of relievers into the hall. Relievers are such a huge part of baseball. Having a great reliever on the back end of a bullpen shortens the game for a team. Having Rivera on the back end of the bullpen for however many years he was in New York, take teams to press earlier in the game because they knew that if they got to Rivera at the end, it's not going to turn out well for him because he was just lights out. Now, I agree that because they throw one inning at a time, their value statistically may not be as much as a starter that throws seven every five days, but they are just as valuable on a team and thus should have a place in the Hall of Fame. I would like to respectfully disagree with you when they're not they're not just as valuable. They're statistically not as valuable. It's I mean, by any measure. Well, you're not statistically as wrong. That's fine. I'm statistically right, but that's fine. I think you're, you're getting logically me in my, wrong. You're getting me and my buddy Lewis mixed up here. He's the one that said relievers didn't belong in the Hall of Fame. You concurred. I, I didn't have either of the two relievers on my ballot, based majority, based mostly on the 10-player 10, 10 limit rule, right? I think Trevor Hoffman and Billy Wagner both are Hall of Famers because I think they're two of the best at their position of all time. This is my same argument with Edgar Martinez and David Ortiz. DH is a position just like relief pitchers a position and the best players should be in the Hall of Fame but I just didn't have room for him on this year's ballot. The okay. main my main argument is that if you vote for Hoffman you got to vote for Billy Wagner cuz Billy Wagner was a better pitcher. I don't know. The save number was so big. I get it that saves aren't in the all be all but that save number is so big and so wildly we talk about what makes a good reliever. You ask 9 out of 10 people what stat makes you a good reliever what would they say uh, strikeouts no no they would not say that they would say saves they would say saves Why? because it's just how it is it's just how it is well, that's that is the kind of dogmatic thinking that has got us to the point we are in this country right I now agree, and i don't approve of it but the way that the hall of fame is set up it's sh- that they should be in the hall of fame they, uh, Trevor Hoffman they, should get in the Hall of Fame before Billy Wagner. Well, but anyway, don't worry, he's he's going to, and Billy Wagner's never going to get in. So congratulations, take your saves and go up on your moral high horse and keep my boy Billy Wagner out of the Hall of Fame. Fine, I hope you're happy. <laughs> I have nothing against Billy Wagner. He was incredible. No, no, you incredible. hate Billy Wagner. He was you incredible. hate Billy Wagner. Okay. You just said it right here. With all that being said, um, first of all, thank you for listening to this podcast. We don't know how you're finding us, but we are sure glad. That's your finding us. First of all, a little bit of housekeeping. If you haven't gone to our Twitter page yet and checked out our pin tweet, all you have to do is retweet that tweet. Hit our follow button on our page. And you'll be entered to win $20. We're giving away $20 here in nine days. So the time is running out. Um, so running out of time go quickly. and do that now. Second of all, I think, I'm just blown away by everybody that's one listened to us consistently, but also gone and rated and reviewed us on iTunes. I mean, so much to us. So just please continue to do that. And we would really appreciate it. Shout out to all you guys. So with all that being said, we got a lot to get to and we're going to have a fun episode. So let's get on with it. First of all, Sam, I want to ask you, 
kind of what your big takeaway from this weekend was. It, we'll, we'll get to the NFL stuff, but just in sports in general, I guess it really doesn't have to be sports. What was your biggest takeaway from this weekend? Well, the, the biggest thing is obviously the championship games, and we'll get into that later. But we've got a few things here that I want to talk about. The biggest thing for me, I think, is the NBA season's really starting to heat up here. I mean, you had the big matchup between the Rockets and the Warriors. The, War- the Rockets won that one at home. I think that's probably a Western Conference final preview there. Uh, just today, before we hopped on to pod, Jason Kidd gets fired in Milwaukee. That's a playoff team with one of the best players in the league. Just lost its coach. And then Kawhi versus the Spurs. What's going on with this? Are there cracks at the Spurs' armor right now? They never have problems like this. What's going on? The San Antonio Spurs are basically the New England Patriots of football. I heard Romo say this past weekend that it's so hard to have a dynasty because you need the best coach in a top three or four player to create a dynasty. If you have a really good coach, you're going to have good years. If you have a really good player, you're going to have good years. Look at Aaron Rodgers. But look at the Spurs when Pop had Tim Duncan, right? Look at all the years that Brady has had Belichick. Belichick's wizard on defense. Brady's on the offensive side. side. And so the Spurs are built so much like the Patriots and the fact of team chemistry, keeping things in-house, just constant communication between the teammates and so for some to squeak out like this first of all doesn't surprise me because emotions run wild in the season especially when things aren't going well like they're not for Kawhi but I'm not surprised but I don't really think it's a big deal to be honest well it's like you said I'm sure the Spurs have problems like this all the time I mean it's a a bunch of a bunch of guys there that are spending more time with each other than they spend with their families they're going to have disagreements but the fact that it got out is what's so concerning to me because we never hear stuff like this out of the Spurs. And I think that what Pop and the Pop and the Spurs have done is more impressive than what Belichick's done because Pop has been able to carry it on past Tim Duncan and David Robinson and all those guys. And now he was able to successfully transition to Kawhi as his best player, win another title, and then continually go toe-to-toe with the Warriors being you know one of the top two or three teams in the league every year and for this kind of thing to come out I mean it just came out today we don't have the details yet I'm sure that we're going to find out that it's not a huge deal it's just shocking to me that that would come out of San Antonio of all places yeah I mean but think about it Kawhi is upset that his rehab isn't going well and he's not on the court he's upset that he's hurt yeah that could be said with every other athlete that's hurt right now I don't think it's a big deal also we'll get to the football game but I was upset Belichick did not wear his cutoff hoodie during the game yesterday. Second of all, soft. I was listening to the game, and post-game, the announcer made the comment on the radio that Bill Belichick was making out with his girlfriend at midfield. Do you have any insight into this speculation? This is the first I've heard of it, but that piece of information leads me to think that Bill Belichick has human emotions, and I cannot... Um, concur with that statement. I don't think that's humanly possible. Bill <laughs> Belichick has never felt anything in his life, and that would make it impossible to do what you said he was doing. Do so, you no, I don't think that. that Matt Patricia will wear the backwards hat and scruffy look when he's the head coach of the Detroit Lions? Uh, I think Matt Patricia is going to go 0-16 next year and get fired because I don't think he's ever had a thought of his own. I think he's a Belichick puppet. So it doesn't answer my question. 
I think he wears the beard and the backwards hat <laughs> with the number two pencil until they're about 0-7. And, and then he thinks, oh, this has got to come off. It's not working. He loses it. They lose the last nine games, and he's gone. Does he bust out the little um, 3M pocket notebook and pencil that, that Belichick carries around? Oh, he's got to use the pencil for something. Why has he got the pencil there? Is it just really itchy under his hat? <laughs> Because he's never taken the pencil out for any reason. Has he ever taken because the hat he off? No, he doesn't have any real responsibilities. He doesn't have to do anything on that team. Yeah. Okay, I digress. Let's talk about Jason Kidd being out in Milwaukee. I think an actual hindrance for this team is that Giannis apparently was devastated that he got fired. Which shook. Yeah, I mean... He is coming to his own under Jason Kidd, and I have no doubt that Jason Kidd played a huge role in that. So going forward, you obviously don't want to upset your best player and a top three or four player in the league. So does Milwaukee have a problem now? I think they might have just got rid of their problem. I think, I look, we live in Tennessee. We don't watch every Bucks game, obviously, but I watch them as much as I can. And that team has more talent. They should be better. They're 500 right now. They're 23 and 22, and they're barely hanging on to the last seed in the playoffs in the East. They should be better than that. And Giannis, like you said, he's one of the best two or three players in the league. He's a young guy. Was he 21 or 22? Yeah. And kid's the only coach he's ever had. You know, when you're that age, you build relationships with people, and you think they're going to last forever. And he doesn't fully understand what it means to be in the NBA yet. And I think that when he gets a new coach, maybe not this year, maybe it'll be next year, he's going to realize that the grass is actually greener and Jason Kidd probably isn't the best coach for him long term. And he's going to bounce back and he's still going to be a superstar. So this is not a Titans podcast, but what are the chances that Mike Malarkey is the next head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks? I mean, I thought he was going to be the next head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Did he turn that job down? (laughs) I, thought, I think he got interviewed to be the uh, the tight ends coach for Ohio State, but I don't know. Hey, well, he, he could be the defensive coordinator. I hear Greg Schiano's looking for work. <laughs> All right, let's get to what I thought was most interesting <laughs> yeah. this week. What's your biggest thing of the weekend? Zion Williamson. So I remember this kid from so many highlights, but I'd forgot about him. And then I saw it pop up <laughs> on the bottom line. Zion Williamson from South Carolina is going to make his college commitment. And I saw the schools that he could go to. Kansas is not going to go all the way out there. Kansas is really good at basketball. Nothing else out there. North Carolina, that's a pretty good chance he could go to North Carolina. But then you see Duke. And you're like, obviously he's going to pick Duke. So I went back and watched all of his highlights. He could dunk on a 13-foot goal. He is incredible. But it took me about seven minutes into a highlight to see him take a jump shot. Now, when you are a man among small children, you don't really have to take that many jump shots because you can fly over everybody and dunk it. But his shot looked okay. So, I mean, that's something obviously he's going to have to develop. But basically, he's a high-flying guy who is a human highlight reel but will have to learn to shoot. But I think my biggest takeaway from that is that Duke has signed the top three players out of this recruiting class. And number 10, apparently. 
Are they? And I, they're all small forwards, aren't they? Well, uh, well, everyone in the everyone in basketball now is six seven. All right, they're all playing the same position. I follow college basketball recruiting about as much as I follow Russian hockey, which is not at all. But I saw <laughs> I got a Bleacher Report notification that the most hyped high school recruit since LeBron James was committing, and I literally never heard of him. I thought it was like an Onion article that they sent to me. <laughs> I think his, name's, his name's Zion Williamson, which is awesome, by the way. Uh, I'm like you. I went and watched a few videos. He's ridiculously athletic. He's going to go to Duke, and Coach K is going to draw up some lobs for him to catch, and he's going to be like the fourth option on that team. He's going to go to the combine. He's going to jump like 48 inches, and he's going to go in the top five, and he's going to be a mediocre NBA player. And he's like that's six that. seven two eighty. Well, he could always just play tackle for the Duke bas- or the Duke football team. I mean, David Cutcliffe could get him in the starting lineup right now. He could just block kicks by standing at the line and jumping straight up in the air. Hey, Georgia knows all about that. You could use one of those guys. Shout right, out, Lorenzo moving Carter. on. Moving on. Let's talk Rockets over the Dubs on Saturday night. This was a really good game, and I think a preview of the Western Conference Finals if no teams lose a significant player to injury. What did you think about this game? I was going to say, especially with Kawhi out, I think the Spurs are the only team that had a real shot of taking either one of these two teams down. And with what's going on in San Antonio, you never count Pop out. All right, I wouldn't be surprised if they made the Conference Finals, but I think these are the best two teams in the league. Um, And I think that that series is going to be really fun. And I think that when the Warriors are fully engaged and are clicking on all cylinders, they're still going to win in five or six games. When Swaggy P is drilling three after three. (laughs) Swaggy P is the key to the Warriors' engine. That doesn't make sense, but he is. Of the four rounds in the playoffs, there's going to be a Swaggy P game at some point. There will be. He's He's going to get into a game, play seven minutes, and score 27 points. It's undoubtedly it's going to happen. It might not be a game when the Warriors win. He might come off the bench and drop 27 in a loss, but he's going to drop 27 in a playoff game, without a doubt. One of the most fun players to watch, along with JaVale McGee. <laughs> Should have been a... JaVale McGee, come on, man. What's going on with the little mini rat tails? Does he still have three that he it's had un- last it's year? It's an unfortunate haircut. It's not great. It's not great at all. You got all right. anything else you want to talk about before we yeah. move on? Last thing is a little EPL action for you. A little oh, yeah, I got to throw here. this in here. I got to throw this in. Go ahead. Go Swansea ahead. City. Swansea City, bottom of the table. But you know what we did today? We took three points from Liverpool. Let's go. Not getting relegated. This Probably is not a Swansea prob- City podcast. But it will be one day. It will be one day. We're probably still getting relegated, but go Division Swansea. Two or whatever they call it. What is that? The, the championship. The English Secondary League, the ESL. The championship. Uh, this just called the championship. Yep, yep. I don't know why. I, this is the we've reached the limit of my EPL <laughs> knowledge, but I know Swansea won today. It's like how they changed the name of the Open Championship to just the Open, <laughs> and no one knew about it except Scott Van Pelt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> British people. If you're from That's, Britain, we love you. Keep listening to the we, pod. We love you and send us information about the soccer because I like the soccer. <laughs> about the championship. Send us all the information you can. We'll have you on the podcast to talk about it because I, I obviously don't know enough to have this conversation. 
do not know enough to even bring up the EPL, but we did. Anyways, so let's move on to something that we do know more about, which is the championship games that were played this weekend. We'll start do we with actually, New England. Do we actually know more about it? Do we actually know more about these games? Because... I feel like I, I know think. more words about football. <laughs> I mean, like hike, touchdown. I did soccer. I, I know kick, goal, uh, forward, forward, offside. Um, yes, there is a penalty kick. Yep, I can talk intelligently about Amer- American football. We actually don't know what's good, what anything. We don't know anything, but we can talk intelligently about it at least. Absolutely, which is why I feel more comfortable talking about this because I know more (laughs) words associated with this sport. So New England versus Jacksonville in Foxborough at Gillette Stadium, one of the best games of the year. So let's first focus on the Jacksonville side of the ball. Blake Bortles played a really, really good game here, and they didn't ask him to do a whole lot, which they shouldn't have with that defense and the running game. But is Blake Bortles going to be Jacksonville's quarterback next year? And is he a franchise quarterback? So the answer to the first question is yes. Because unless you're Amy Adams and John Robinson, you can't get rid of a guy after you get to the conference finals or conference championship. Whether or not he's a franchise quarterback, I don't know. I mean, he played a really good first three and a half quarters. But... When it came down to it, that coaching staff still didn't trust him to make throws in the fourth quarter. The biggest the biggest sign to me that they don't trust him as a passer is when you get the ball back with 55 seconds left in the first half and you just sit on it. Well, I don't trust Doug Marone's choices in fashion either. His little visor-sunglasses combination was irking me all game. <laughs> well, you've got to keep the sun out of your eyes. But it was at night. The some, sun had gone down. You still got to give some love to the top of the head. Let it breathe. I appreciated it. And, and they were gas station sunglasses at best. <laughs> I have no rebuttal. That's correct. They were. <laughs> he got him. He got him at the mini mart on the way in. That's factually With correct. With Blake Bortles on that last drive, he missed Fournette on the wheel route. Underthrew yep, a big time. Choked it down. Yep. Two or three feet underthrown. It was a tough throw. Tony Romo thought so. Whatever Tony Romo says, I believe, and tried to spew (laughs) out as close as possible. But that throw he made on the last play to, was it D.D. Westbrook running down the field? I I think so. Was a good throw. Stephon Gilmore made an awesome play on that ball. Initially, I thought, oh, that's pass interference. And then I thought, oh, wait, it's the Patriots. That's not going to be pass interference. It turns out it just wasn't, period. There's a couple other questionable calls in that game. Well, you're yeah, you're you're touching on another subject here where I was going to ask you, did the Patriots actually have a flag thrown on them the entire game because I don't know that I saw one. I think the refs may have thrown a flag as they were trotting into the locker room for the first half like a like a meaningless flag, but that may have been like the only one. Too too many men on the field kind of thing. There but, were a, a couple, I mean, obviously I knew this game was rigged going in and there were a couple of instances where I saw it in the forefront. First was the pass that Brady threw to Brandon Cooks that A.J. Yep. Bouye just covered him too well, so they had to throw a flag. He forced it him was into too good the cheerleaders. He didn't touch him. He just ran him into the cheerleaders. He escorted him out of the play. There's nothing wrong with that. It's great coverage. It was, it was awesome. 
Second of all, Miles Jack recovered that fumble. Nobody touched him, but they knew he was going to run for a touchdown. And they just yep. decided to mark him down right there. As I was watching it, I couldn't believe that they let the fumble stand, first of all. But then I realized that it was a trade-off. They said, we'll give you the fumble, but we're not letting you score the touchdown, too. Because they knew Blake Bortles wasn't scoring the touch, score, you know, leading the drive at that point. So it, it's an obvious... It, it's obvious. We knew from the beginning. We said on the last podcast, there's no way the Jags are making the Super Bowl. And they played with us for a few quarters, you know, for, what I say, three and a half quarters. And in the end of the day, the Patriots are going back to the Super Bowl, and we always knew it was going to happen. So, big picture Jags takeaway from this game, though. You got to be happy if you're a Jags fan with how they played. For me, this is sitting in the Titans podcast, but I'm not happy with how they play because it's going to be incredibly tough for the Titans going forward. You got Deshaun Watson coming back in that division. You got Andrew Luck coming back in that division. And this Jags team looks really good. I mean, say what you will about Blake Bortles, and I don't think that he was capable of winning that game yesterday. He still made some some serious NFL throws yesterday. I mean, there was some tight window throws. He was moving around in the pocket well. He was feeling pressure. You know, he was doing some things that Blake Bortles doesn't do. And if they can get that out of him more consistently, that team's dangerous, man. Really dangerous. Or if they can get Kirk Cousins from Washington – that team would That's be what they extremely should do. dangerous. Da- extremely That's... dangerous. <laughs> We're both having a little trouble speaking tonight, but hey, whatever. It's... The red fox jumped over the blue log. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You got anything else you need to say about this game? Because I think that's all I got. A couple of things. Tom Brady without Gronk, leading him back from 10 down against the best defense in the league. In my mind, just, I mean, it's Tom Brady. It's just, he's awesome. He is awesome in the clutch. I don't care what your thoughts are about him. He is very good in the clutch when it comes down to it. Second of all, Tony Romo, best football announcer of all time. Love his <laughs> pinman skills, drawing out routes, talking about plays. I feel like I'm sitting next to a wizard whenever I listen to him call games. Him and Jim Nance need to cover every sporting event ever. MLB. NCAA, March EPL. Madness, EPL, <laughs> presidential debates. I want to listen to him on everything. Get Wolf Blitzer out of here. Get Tony on CNN. We need him to moderate these debates. I agree with you. <laughs> Moving on to Minnesota bloodbath in Philadelphia. What happened to Case Keenum in this game? I don't know, man. The first drive... The Vikings went down the field like they were going playing against air. I mean, it would take up like two and a half minutes to score a touchdown. Keenum's picking them apart. They're you know they're running the ball well. Beautiful touchdown pass to Kyle Rudolph, and then he got hit through that pick six, and after that he just didn't look the same. But they, the Eagles got that pick six, then they scored another touchdown. It was fourteen to seven, and the Vikings are on a drive there at the end of the half. Case Keenum leads them back down the field. Gets him into the red zone. You know what happened next? You know what happened next? The most exciting player in the NFL, Derek Barnett, with the strip sack, happened next. And after that, Case Keenum was done. He couldn't He couldn't handle it. Couldn't come back. Funny thing about that play is I was watching the game with my dad at home. And he looked at me and he said, I, said, I thought Derek Barnett played for the Eagles. And I said, Dad, he does. He's, And as soon as I said he does, he made that play. And I go, yep, that was him right there. I mean, it was just—it was incredible. He just, first of all, brutal block attempt by a tight end coming over to try uh, to take his awful, legs out. That's an awful protection yeah, right there. I, I mean, 
I mean, I think coming off of last week's game, it could have gone one of two ways. He could have used the momentum, but also you put so much into that game last week that going into Philadelphia was just a tall task when you look back at it. I mean, without a doubt, we underrated the Eagles' home field advantage. I mean, that crowd was crazy. And we underrated Nick Foles as quarterback. The guy is... Play better, I think, than Carson Wentz would have played in this game. That wasn't Nick Foles. That was Aaron Rodgers in a Nick Foles jersey. I mean, that was incredible. After the way he played against the Falcons, he's going to come out and drop that in the NFC Championship game? That was unbelievable. It was. It was. So, my question to you is, Nick Foles a franchise quarterback in the NFL? (laughs) I don't think so. I don't think so, but I don't know anything because I didn't think that he was going to be able to complete three forward passes this week. And he, what, what did he go for, 350? I mean, he's My just chucking bombs play right down bef- the field. Yeah. It's the play with about two and a half minutes left, he was getting bull rushed by Everson Griffin. I mean, had both hands wrapped around him practically. And he just decided to heave the ball as far as he could. And Alshon Jeffrey was right there. I mean, at that point, I was like, well, Yep. It's over. You don't have Nick to watch Foles the rest good. of the game. Nick Foles is good. He's, yeah, that's right. I, Turned it off. It, it's unbelievable. It, I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't believe it. I mean, let me transition this back to the Vikings for a second. What are they doing at quarterback next year? Because Case Keenum looked really good this year, but they've also got Sam Bradford who's looked good, and they got first-round pick Teddy Bridgewater, and all three of those guys are free agents. I don't think that they want Case Keenum to be their quarterback, to be honest. And if he would have won this game and gone to the Super Bowl, you would have had to bring him back. I think ultimately they want Teddy Bridgewater to be their quarterback. It depends on how he looks coming back from injury. But if he's back to his self with that defense and the running game they have now and those receivers, I think they may stick with Bridgewater and let Keenum walk. And Keenum will probably get a really good deal. I mean, you would think so. Imagine... Imagine peak, you know, I say peak Case Keenum like he had a peak. Imagine Case Keenum from, you know, the past six to eight weeks on that Jaguars team. I mean, I know Bortles played pretty good this week, but good Keenum takes them to a whole nother level. I mean, they're going to throw a lot of money at somebody, right? Let me ask you this. Let's say Nick Foles wins in Minnesota in two weeks. Let's say he's a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Can he come in? Next August to training camp as a backup quarterback. No, I don't think so. I, th- I don't know what his contract situation is, but I think if Nick Foles wins the Super Bowl, which I I mean, we're not going to talk Super Bowl too much this week, but that, I think that could happen. I really do. The Eagles defense is salty, man. Um, but no, I think the Eagles will probably trade him. I think they could probably get it. I don't know. If he wins the Super Bowl, second round pick out of him, right? Yeah, I think they'd have to trade him. Hey, you couldn't do that to a guy. Um, I mean, looking back at backup quarterbacks that have gone into gone on to win the Super Bowl, first one that comes to mind is Tom Brady, right? They did right. Not, I mean, obviously Tom Brady was coming as a up and coming quarterback, not somebody who had lost the starting job. And obviously Nick Foles is not Tom Brady, but if you win a Super Bowl, very few quarterbacks have done that. So if that if he happens to prevail in that game, it will be very hard for him to come into next season as a backup quarterback. So anything I mean, we, else on this game? Yeah, well, I'm just continue that thought for a second. We could have a ton of quarterback movement next offseason. I mean, the NFL, 
we talk about how boring the NFL offseason is because nobody ever gets traded. But, I mean, you got Kirk Cousins, who's a free agent, all three Minnesota guys. Nick Foles could be available. Eli Manning could be available. Blake Bortles could be available. I mean, you could really reshuffle the quarterback deck here. That's going to be interesting to watch. It really will. So it'll be interesting to see what that looks like going forward. So with that being said, this is not a Titans podcast, but this is a Titans segment that we're stumbling upon right now. The Titans introduced Mike Vrabel, former linebacker Mike Vrabel, former tight end Mike Vrabel. I just messed up his name at least three times. Vrabel. 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 The elusive V and then R. It's it's Vrabel. Thoughts. What are your thoughts? I'm glad glad you threw in tight end Mike Vrabel because I think he had, what, like 12 or 15 touchdowns receiving for the Patriots? I believe he had 12, and he caught 12 passes in his career, and he has 12 (laughs) touchdowns. This is the kind of efficiency I want in my coach. No, um, I want this I kind of efficiency out of Corey Davis next year. 100 catches uh, Corey, for 100 touchdowns. I would take 12 catches for 12 touchdowns out of Corey Davis next year. Let's do baby steps. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> okay. If we're actually going to talk about him as a, Mike Vrabel as a coach, I'd be lying if I said I had a lot of hot takes about this one. I don't know a ton about Mike Vrabel, the coach. He's only been a coordinator for one year. He's never had any head coaching experience. But I think if you trust John Robinson, then you have to like this hire because it was obviously his guy from the beginning. From the minute he fired Mike Malarkey, even from the minute he took this job, I think he wanted Vrabel to be the head coach. And he put up with with Malarkey as long as he thought he had to. And now he's got his guy, and now it's on him. If it doesn't work, he's going to be the next one to go. You're right. This is his guy. Malarkey was not his guy. So now he's got his guy there. Ideas line up from when they both were in New England. They didn't talk much. John Robinson was a scout at that point when Vrabel was a player, and you just don't kind of have a lot of interactions with those two roles. But they all they learned from the same machine. So not saying that they're going to be the New England Patriots, but Vrabel learned from them he learned from urban meyer when he was at ohio state and although that's college urban meyer is still a great coach he learned from cower when he came into the nfl and his energy he brings is so different he's going to hold guys accountable he's going to fire this team up and hopefully fire marcus up that's the main point is What's his effect on Marcus? And in the press conference today, he said that that's my most important relationship. That's the most important player on the team. And he said that as the defensive coordinator of the Texans, they were terrified of Marcus coming into the Titans game, you know, the two times they played us. So I think he understands how important Marcus is to this franchise and how important Marcus is to him as a coach because if Marcus fails – He's he fails too. I mean, these Absolutely. guys are together now. So we They're joke about now. him being a tight end, but he was a linebacker, and so he's going to handle the defense. I would imagine he calls plays on the defensive side of the ball. We'll see. So the biggest question mark for the Titans this year was their offense. So he's going to have to bring in a dynamic play caller who revitalizes this offense, gets Marcus more progressions and is able to move him to the next level. I've the only problem with this hire for me 
is that let's say we hire the next offensive genius, okay? We hire Todd McVay when he was in Washington. What's going to happen in two years? He's going to leave. He's going to get a head coaching job, and we're going to have to start the process all over again. That's my only problem with, for me, for them hiring a defensive coach. But they have a couple of thoughts, I think, that he's leaning on for potential offensive coordinators. Also, we just found out not too long ago, Dick LeBeau will not return as defensive coordinator. Not shocked there with Vrabel coming in as a defensive-minded head coach. But going forward, he's going to have to hire two new offensive coordinators. So we will see what those names are. But how soon can the Titans expect success with this new coaching staff? This one's a tough one for me because you just won a playoff game. You just won 10 games this year, including the playoff game. So that leads you to believe that you should expect success pretty quickly. But I think this is going to be a tough division. I mean, we talked about it a little bit earlier with Deshaun Watson, Andrew Luck, and that Jags team. Even if you know if Blake Bortles is back, if they get a new quarterback, whatever the case, that's going to be a really good defense regardless. I mean, I don't know that you can pick the Titans to win that division next year. Yeah, especially I don't with think a new you can coach. either. I don't think you can either. So we will dive into this more, even though this is not a Titans podcast, whenever they announce who the offensive and defensive coordinators are. But regardless, it will be an interesting offseason in Nashville for sure. So moving on, last order of business that we have today is we are going to answer some of your listener questions that you sent us on Twitter and through our email at informalpublication at gmail.com. We're going to try to do a couple of these each show, so please tweet at us and send us questions of anything that you would like us to discuss. The first question I have is from Rich in Oklahoma. Shout out to you, Rich. Which informal podcast is reaching far and wide across this great nation? And other nations. Shout out to you, Rich. Oklahoma is not a nation. But he, Rich, asks, which current professional athlete would make the best United States president and why? Do you have any initial thoughts on this question? It's intriguing. I I saw this come through and I thought you might ask me this one. And it's tough because I I don't know. I mean, I think... The number one characteristic of a good president is leadership and the ability to, I mean, you're the you're the leader of the country, right? So you have to be able to get people behind you. You have to have a vision for where you want to go, and you have to have the best interest of everybody in mind. So my first thought with that is it's got to be a quarterback, right? I mean, they're basically the the they're the leaders of their team. So that's my first thought. Yeah. I think they would have to be. My answer is Marcus Mariota. I mean, he would obviously be the best quarterback <laughs> in wait, wait, all wait, of wait, professional wait. sports. Wait, he's from Hawaii. That doesn't you can't be president if you were born in Hawaii, right? Oh, is that a law? <laughs> is that what is that what they're arguing over in this government shutdown? I don't know. I don't know. I you know I I think we should probably steer clear of that whole thing. Not but, a, not, yeah. not a political <laughs> podcast. No, despite this. So if you're going with Marcus, I'm going with Peyton Manning. I mean, he's shown the ability to lead championship teams. He's shown the ability to have great charisma and personality. I mean, have you seen SNL? It's fantastic. 
And um, when you look at the Tennessee coaching search, he's shown the ability to be a little underhanded and conniving. And I think you need that if you're going to be the president. So Peyton for president. I thought you might say that. So we will (laughs) agree to disagree. I think there are a couple other interesting options when you think out of all the other sports. Um, In baseball, you might pick a shortstop. So I would have said before that Derek Jeter might be a good president until he has dive-bombed the Marlins. So I would take him out of the running. Well, let that play out, all right? He's, it's the long game down there in Miami. That's yeah, not true. Right. He's, he's out of it. He's out oh, of it. it is. If rebuild central. So, <laughs> I don't know. My, my, my pick is, this is not a Titans podcast, but my pick would be Marcus Mariota. Cool under pressure. I don't know. I think it would be a great one. The next question. This question comes in from New York, New York, from Oswald Cobblepot. Oswald asks, which host is more likely to survive a bear attack? I mean, this 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 is is an easy one. (laughs) I was going to say, this is pretty obvious to me. Yeah. I I feel like that I would survive it way more easy than you. I thought you would say that. That's also just patently false. It's not true. The old there's a very old adage that goes back that you don't have to be faster than the bear. You've just got to be faster than the guy you're with. And I think I could outrun you right now. I really do. I mean, I understand that you play basketball every Sunday night, but I don't know if that qualifies you to outrun me down a mountain or up a mountain. So there, I think there are a couple of important questions that Oswald forgot to include into this question. First of all, where are we? What kind of terrain are we in? What is the weather like? What kind of bear is it that we have to fend off an attack? Are there cubs involved? Are we the only people there? So for this scenario, we are going to say that we're in the Smoky Mountains. It is a black bear. It's a sunny day. You and me are together and we are climbing a mountain. Black like bear comes. Scenario. Black bear comes out onto the trail. You and me are side by side. He takes off. We can't say that one of us is faster. That's the only thing. Okay. Because we would argue about that all day long. Well, I think that there's a very obvious foot race coming between us at some point, live on Periscope, and it's just a matter of time before that has to happen. Now that we've had this discussion, but okay, setting that aside, what are the other parameters of this fight with a bear? So it doesn't necessarily have to be a fight with a bear. You could run from the bear. You could fight the bear. It's up to you. Personally, I'm going to run from the bear. I myself will not be able to tackle a bear or fight a bear. I would rather run and take my chances of outrunning a bear and climbing a tree. Although I guess bears can climb trees, so it would not be the best strategy, which might put me at a disadvantage. Not going to be a great plan right there. Um, I think you have to be smarter than the bear. So I think you said black bear. They're inherently smaller than grizzly bears. You know, know your enemy here. A little bit smaller. I think I'm going to take my chances here, and I'm just going to lay down on the ground, and I'm going to pretend like I'm not a threat at all to the bear. You're going to take off running like a madman. The bear is going to come after you, and then while you guys go screaming through the woods, I'm just going to get up and continue my hike. You have the boldest strategy ever with this bear. (laughs) There is no way in the moment you would lay down just plank style and act dead, play possum, 
when a bear's coming at you. Do not disparage my ability to think on my feet. I think that this is a foolproof strategy because the bear is going to perceive you as a threat as you go running through the woods. But if I'm just laying there minding my own business, I feel confident that me and the bear would have an understanding that I was not going to hurt him and that I would, in so doing, save myself from the bear attack. Okay. I guess we can just put this out on a poll on Twitter and our listeners can decide who would best win in a fight against a bear. But for me, I'm going to choose myself, obviously. And for you, I'd probably choose me too. But I don't know. That's up to you. No, no, I'm definitely choosing myself. I think my strategy is foolproof. And I think you would be um, brunch brunch for a bear in a quick hurry. Yeah, your strategy's foolproof until the bear realizes you're still alive and crushes you like a grape. Here is the rest of the strategy. So, mano y mano, I'm not going to be able to fight the bear. I'm not going to be able to fisticuffs and take the bear down. I can't outrun it. (laughs) You're going to be in a tree. The bears climb trees better than you do. That's not going to go great for you. So, what are your options? Your options are to die tired or just to lay down, and maybe that works. And if not, well, then you're probably going to get eaten anyway. So, I think... um, you know, calmness is the best strategy here. And we can I think disagree. That our followers, our followers and our listeners to are going to agree with agree me. on this. We'll put it out on Twitter. You guys vote. And whoever loses, I don't know, we'll think of something fun for the loser <laughs> to do. All right. That is all the time we have for in this podcast. Like I said, send us some more questions to discuss. We've got some really good ones, and I'm excited to talk more about them the next time out. If you haven't already, go back and listen to Sam and Aaron Lewis's MLB Hall of Fame podcast. It is awesome, and I definitely recommend it. Also, go retweet our pin tweet and follow us to win $20, as well as continue to listen and review and rate us on iTunes. Any last words? No, no. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you have any larger show ideas, we'd be happy to hear because football season's coming to an end. Basketball is not really going to get kicked up until March. So we're going to have some shows here we're going to need to fill. So send us some ideas we can talk about. As always, thank you guys. And until next time, I'm Austin Coley for Sam Lewis. Peace! Peace!